Deadwood Soundwell. This podcast contains explicit language and plot spoilers. My name is Charles R. Horgan. I'm a Purple Heart veteran and lifelong movie nerd. Recently, I've noticed that my relationship with the most action-y of action films, the war film, has become complicated. So, I am exploring this genre with my childhood friend, Dr. Aaron Donaldson. What am I gonna do? I can't survive on my America. If the worst is true, is it just a waste of Hi, Aaron. Hi, Charles. Batch 8. You, we called it Boiling Points, I suppose? Boiling Points, mm-hmm. yeah. We watched Meituan from 1987, Bloody Sunday. Oh, that one can be called Toiling, toiling point. point. Yeah, these first two are Toiling Point, and the other one's about monkeys, or apes. I'm going to make this mistake this episode, apes. too. No, we did. We watched Meituan from 1987, Bloody Sunday from 2002, Dawn of Planet of the Apes from 2014, <laughs> Um, we'll call them all toiling points, boiling points. I dig it. Um, we have a lot to talk about in this episode, but just putting it in context, this is batch eight. These episodes were trying to look backwards. And the question I had for you kicking this off, and maybe this is a good place to start, maybe it isn't. Batch seven was Spectacles of Slaughter. Batch six, Apocalypse How. Batch five, Child Soldiers. Batch four, Star Wars Cultures. Batch three, big quotes, Afghanistan. Batch two, nuclear annihilation, and batch one, formative war films. Boiling points is an odd fit. That the movies themselves are an interesting selection. Maitwan about coal miners trying to give it to the man. Now they got you fighting white against colored, native against foreign, holla against holla. When you know there ain't but two sides of this world, them that work and them that don't. You work. They don't. Uh, Bloody Sunday about uh, the man taking it to a bunch of protesters. In view of the continuing adverse security situation in the province, all parades, processions, and marches will be banned until further notice. Three company are behind barrier 14. If there's any trouble... I don't think there's any doubt about that. There will be. Okay, support company then will break through the wall for the Presbyterian churchyard through this dead ground, break through this wall, and they inter- they're going to come round and sweep round behind all the hooligans round about Agro Corner, sweeping them towards Barrier 14. At the same time, three company will be breaking through Barrier 14, and the hooligans will be caught in a pincer movement. Thank you, Charles. And Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, about man and apes trying to live together in post-apocalypse Northern California. Ape! 
what are these movies saying in context to the prior batches? Are there any batches in particular that you think work well in conversation with this or speak to this? There may not be much on your mind here, but I just thought it'd be a fun place to start just by looking backwards before we go forwards on the batch and being like, how does this batch speak to the other people in the dinner party we have said? Very basically, these are um, these are all war movies. Um, Mate one is the biggest stretch um, out of them because that one is is does not have uniformed soldiers in it, but it does have the weapon. It has fucking straight up water cooled like Maxim machine guns or whatever. Like that's that's wild, and they are used kind of you know it is it is. It is kind of the bad. We said it was the bad guys from uh, from Shadowville um, being used against the the good guys of the of West Virginia. Um, yeah, and they and call it does them a lead, war. They call them and, a very literal war up there. They definitely and call that it a is war. the inciting incident that does then lead to an actual war that breaks out. Um, sadly, nobody wants to give Jonathan Sales um, John Sales that that money to make that movie. He's just um, got to spend his own money every time and then just watch it disappear. <laughs> mm-hmm. We will. We might watch it um, because I, I mean, I would have to do some stretching for it to a certain extent. But there is another movie that I like. I really love. But but now that I know more, it's problematic. And it's called The Molly Maguires. I won the Molly Maguires. Pictures presents Richard Harris, John Connery, Samantha Egger in The Molly Maguires. And it's a fun movie to watch. Um, it's about um, coal miners in Pennsylvania who who like rebelled against their their bosses and you know bombed and bombed mines and shot and shot supervisors and stuff like that. And then the leaders of it are, are infiltrated by a Pinkerton and he, um, and then he betrays them, of course, or he does his job and the guys get the leaders of it get hung. Um, and it has Sean Connery and Richard Harris in it. Um, interesting. Okay. And so the movie's great because, you know, you watch it and you're like, yeah, fuck, they treat these people horribly and you should, at some point, you know, Sean Connery's like, yeah, you know, it's like at least for a minute I made them bleed or something, you know, before before they crushed me and um, at the end of the movie. But then when I read into the history of the Molly Maguires, because why what isn't there to love right about a bunch of Irish people doing this thing, kicking ass, you know, it's like working class pride and all this other shit. It turns out that during the time that allegedly they were active um, and they started bombing and killing other miners or whatever in cavens and shit like that, suddenly accidents in the mining area went down a lot. Hmm. And it Hmm. seems that the Molly Maguires were a made-up thing and their terrorism was just actually mining shittiness um mm. poor safety standards that was being blamed on them mm. and that violence or whatever that was happening maybe you know for truly guys were getting shot or whatever but unrelated to what was going on but they used it as an excuse to weaponize your you know to crush a 
a legit union um, movement. Maybe Mate One is the less popular movie because the story that people want you to think is that you should pick up the gun and shoot the guys to get your revenge because then they can weaponize the system to crush you. What What's really interesting to me about the selection is that we've said going back across all of these batches that war movies always frame war as really inevitable. If there are pacifists, they're typically pretty shitty or backwards thinking, or at the very least hopeless and tragic. If there are pacifists, big if there, um, really the only one that comes to mind right now, just because we did spectacles of slaughter is the priest in Zulu looking through the church, (laughs) you know? Um, so it's like, here we have pacifism rendered and I like I, I really dig the name boiling points because in all three instances and in what you are describing, what we are faced with is a conflict that is pointing every single apparatus we have at a war. We want a war. Don't we want a war? Isn't a war what we want? Don't we want a war? Isn't this what we want? And the question is, is that what we're going to do? Are we going to have a war or aren't we going to have a war? And the um, the people that monger war, the people that sell it and the people that benefit from it by monopolizing the legitimacy like police and politicians, these people are incentivized to bring the war to the people because they can win the war. They know how to win the war and the media will talk about the war in their terms and that will help them win the war. And this movie apparently is just a mind-boggling example and we – need to watch it charles because the movie itself then becomes a really powerful kind of rank propaganda by giving name to a so-called terrorist group that might have just been a bunch of tragic freaking accidents it's like it's a good example of where war wants to be made because so many people benefit from the kind of unilateral power politics of it and in this movie in this batch we see people at least making a case for pacifism and i say fairly weakly in all cases and we had some pretty good chats across these batches about that um at least they're making the case for it you see the army trying to start it in bloody sunday that's amazing we just got all the military sitting there being like oh let's make this a war let's make this a war let's make this a war and um that voice happens in dawn of planet of the apes let's make this a war let's make this a war on like both sides you see that and in Meituan, it's definitely happening. It's happening in, the, in every union camp ever. And it's happening amongst every single boss ever because the bosses and the cops, not in Meituan, but typically these forces are aligned and they're going to support each other in these endeavors. And so by picking three movies that we might have to justify as war movies, we're resituating pacifism as like a fundamental part of the conversation. You've given it a name that I think really speaks to both the kind of heightened sense of urgency, but also what I hope people understand is a non-inevitability. War is not inevitable. It is not. It's not. Um, And and the water might be about to boil, but if the heat goes down, it won't. (laughs) So it's like we're on the verge and there's a lot of things pushing towards it. And you see that in all three of these batches and you definitely do not see that. Uh, in like Star Wars culture, <laughs> like no such come there. It's just like, let's start the shooting, man. You know, like the, the hidden fortress is an odd exception in, in, in that culture batch. But um, I was thinking about the original Star Wars trilogy a lot um, when I was thinking about Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Yeah. Um, huh. And I was thinking about um, about how Caesar, he at one point goes nuts um 
goes total goblin mode on um on Koba and beats the shit out of him. But that comes in halfway through the movie and he is upset about it and doesn't do it again. Um right. when when Koba attacks him later on, like he defends him. And I was thinking, how interesting would it have been if when Luke Skywalker went goblin mode on um on Darth Vader, if he I mean, if it came earlier and he almost defeated him and then realized that it was bad and then his lesson later on was to be not fighting like that to Darth Vader at, right. and at the end, if it didn't defeat him. Right. Yeah, it's interesting and it takes a lot of context out, but it's like what ultimately moved Darth Vader at the end of the first trilogy was witnessing his son taking a stand and saying no and paying the consequence for that. And that's the role of pacifism, is to say, I'm not going to participate, I'm not going to participate. And so the Emperor freaking electrocutes that kid. You will die. And he's just getting zapped and zapped and zapped, and Vader's sitting there looking, sitting there looking, sitting there looking. And Luke was never able to take him down with a lightsaber. Not going to beat him that way. Uh, He's ready for that one. But in this case... Just taking that electrocution, I suppose, ultimately turns Vader around. He's like, well, this is pretty up. I've got to do something about this. <laughs> the Star Wars culture, typically with the exception of fascinating conversation in that batch and across those episodes about the role that the hidden fortress plays both in informing star wars and also uniquely in that batch at least rejecting death as the triumph the triumph is is to reject death but in all of those other ones in dam busters for sure and definitely in star wars pretty much all of them even the people that are reserved about war will see it as an inevitability we'll prepare for and that we will truly master and here In each case, we have very strong central voices saying war is not the answer. Um, In each case, I think the movie is more or less saying that those people are right. Yeah. Uh, I said in Maytuan that um, not Bradley, but Chris Cooper's character ends up like running late to the party and getting headshot rather feebly. To me, that was kind of a little victim-y. He didn't really do much in the most critical moment in bloody sunday we said the character the politician did a really good job of like running to the front when the two protests separated themselves and here he's like getting between the police and the protesters being like nope 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 nope, 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 nope. go back the other way poor testerman and um in in mate one does the same thing he like walks right up there and he tries to talk him down you all have no right to come to this here town with all these people and drawing guns and terrorizing. You, the rich you have are not bound for this town. And his frickin' friend Sid, friend in quotes, Sid, pulls yeah. two guns out and just blasts the two guys. And Testerman yeah. gets shot in the crossfire. Yeah. No! no. Bleeds out in the middle of the street with his wife like it's... I just want to talk. I just want to talk. feel my legs the the politicians getting shot mid-speech 
at the end of Meituan. I I was kind of thinking about the ending of that movie more about how you have the the local sheriff and the politician standing up against the bosses and the the, the not bosses bosses are in some sky rise somewhere. <laughs> All right. We're loaded. <laughs> <laughs> The, the the people hired for adventure and manhood <laughs> end up in Meituan with rifles <laughs> staring these dudes down. Interesting intersection with the conversation uh, Spectacles of Slaughter where we had all sorts of mercs and people out there um, just working for the state. But the, the, the politician and the sheriff are, are, are staring those two guys down. And um, the politician starts a speech and gets gut shot. The pacifist comes around the corner and gets headshot and the sheriff survives the fight. To me, that was kind of, even though the voiceover at the end said that, that the pacifist was actually right and he was always right, I don't know that the movie ends in a way that necessarily celebrates those legacies. I can't feel my legs. They end up kind of victimized. We had a disagreement about that, I feel like, in the batch, right? That's safe to um, say? I, I feel like it. it's like... It it seems to be somewhat honoring the legacy, right? Like it is a historical event. Um, I don't. Who knows if the Joel Keenahan guy actually all existed. three of these are historical events. I think Dawn of Planet of the Apes, Bloody Sunday, and May. 20th Dawn of the Planet of the Apes is ongoing. It, it's um, a, it, it hasn't happened yet. It's, it's, it's unfolding currently. <laughs> all those vaccinated we're, people are going to turn into apes. We're doing our part of the story. Now we just need the apes to get smarter and regulate <laughs> yeah. on us. Um, we're we're being the monsters and villains um, with uh, with a few good ones. Um, yeah, we're so good at it. <laughs> we're so we're so good at it. This was my big thought um, yeah. coming from coming from Planet of the Apes. I did read the article. I do like to read a well-written criticism, even if I disagree with it. I disagree yeah. with with Donna of the Planet of the Apes being digital blackface. Oh, interesting. But I do think that it brings up some uncomfortable things. But I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. This is Susanna Loza's article. It's a book chapter, actually. It's in Monstrosity. Sorry, Speculative Imperialism's Monstrosity and Masquerade in Post-Racial Times from 2017, Chapter 4. Monkeys, Monsters, and Minstrels in Rise and Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. That's mm, just the just the uh, the title would send my friend Jenna just through the just put it, putting her fist through the wall because there are very few monkeys in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. <laughs> Um, <laughs> but they were going for the alliteration, though the alliteration. <laughs> They're uh, in there, and they that gives them the alliteration. The title needs get the, to be get the thesaurus out. I'm sure there's something. I'm sure there's an A in there. <laughs> I did some, also some reading, which was, um, which was rewatching the first Planet of the Apes, <laughs> and this was my my realize, or not the not the original original, but the first one in the new trilogy, the James Franco one. Yeah. yeah. And and this was my realization is that you redo Planet of the Apes. Um, you're aware that the original one has its history or whatever. Um, it also has a history of huge diminishing returns. Um, and and then and then you you just remake the story and you just let the you let the parallels draw themselves. If you make the story about the the true genius move of the original one is that at some point it just shifts the story from James Franco to Caesar. And uh -huh. um, like the moment that James Franco at some point, James Franco Caesar beats the shit out of the dude because um, John Jonathan Lithgow has Alzheimer's and he's like protecting Jonathan Lithgow. Yeah. Um, 
not knowing what Jonathan Lithgow is doing in season four of Dexter. <laughs> Caesar didn't know that. He's hiding it well. Yeah. Um, and so what happens is that is that Caesar ends up being given to to like a place that does that does testing on it's like a completely like indoor place that does testing on apes. And um and that's like when the story then shifts to Caesar. It's right. very interesting. Right. And here's the bummer of the reality of it is that if you just logically, if you know what the, what you're doing is that you're making something that's supposed to lead to planet of the apes where apes are better than humans. Um, and humans are, are gone for the most part. It's the bummer is that when you just logically follow the journey of an animal that has been tested on the way that we do currently and you just imagine like what if they did just fucking rise up a bunch of cats or raccoons or dogs with thumbs or rats just or rats oh good god that would might be my it's true like effing nightmare it the rats and nim or something like that's a kind of interesting contribution there like but their struggle would sadly be so incredibly if they could voice their feelings and their pain would be so sadly parallel to the civil rights struggles of so many exploited people throughout our history. And that, and then the other really, the other question I had is if you are watching footage of an ape and then imitating that ape in order to portray an ape, is that the same thing as looking at an ape and then pretending to be that ape in order to portray a black person? So in the book chapter, the parts that we talked about in the episode that I really dug, she talked about, I think the real problem is the kind of uh, what she describes as this, and we'd agree, the stubborn racist linkage of African-Americans with apes in the European imperial imaginary via minstrelsy, mimesis, and racial performativity. This reminds us of a human-animal boundary that has been constructed to serve the binaries of Western thought that have allied science with man, culture, mind, whiteness, objectivity, and agency, but relegated people of color, white women, and many other categories of otherness to not-quite-human. Humans who are not male, white, and bourgeois are classified as boundary figures like the apes. Race is characterized as a personal failure in this movie. It's Carver or um, uh, Koba. Race war as something the apes did in this movie, and they should atone for. No guns, ape, no kill ape. I'm sorry for my apes doing this. Uh, this movie characterizes race as genetic, virulent, and contagious. Um, and in being proximity with the apes, we are risking our um, own contamination of their apiness. I don't know that like this, the first chapter of this movie was made in 1968. And she says in the book chapter, and I think this is on point. If you start with a story that's rooted in racialized narratives, then that's where you're going to get. And I don't know that there's a way to reverse engineer it. And I think that because that cishet white settler patriarch imaginary has been so effectively and, and truly universally ingrained into our imaginary, 
our ability to tell certain stories becomes really difficult. The link to blackface, she says, is exclusively um, Circus's performance. She says it is lauded as a kind of Lon Chaney of digital actors for, quote, humanizing the dirty apes, um, while Kebble, the other character, draws on subversive vaudeville performances made famous by black minstrels like Burt Cooper. Um, this is appropriating via digital black space, blackening up. These are two white dudes aping up performances and this is, she says, evocative of people like George Washington Dixon, Al Jolson, Eddie Cantor. Oh, you want a drink, fucker? I'll do some. Give him some nasty wabbits. <laughs> While Cir- Circus's motion capture minstrelsy is motivated by a benevolent concern for the dark, oppressed apes, speaking to these remarkably similar conditions, as he put it, it nonetheless utilizes the privileged eye of white settler colonial authority as a means to authenticate the experiences, humanize them, and claim them as their own. It sucks, but it's like, our history has made this kind of story in particular Almost impossible to tell if you want to avoid conversations of white supremacy. No, I think you I think you have the I think it brings up the questions of white supremacy. Oh, it evokes those questions. Yeah, I by by all means. But I but I think that I mean, the the first chapter in the story is not the Charlton Heston movie, right? Like this, this this imagines in in the world of this, I don't think we ever got smart enough to send Charlton Heston out light year at light speed in space <laughs> in order to not age right. or whatever. I know it's a fucking bummer. Um, it seems we never got quite there. That would have been a great idea. <laughs> at least give us that if you're going to imagine. <laughs> um, but it is just it seemingly just is saying like, what if we just logically just followed followed Caesar? Yeah. The bummer is that, yeah, it it does draw attention to to our huge our ongoing exploitation. Like if we could bring on, I tell you what, I follow a friend of mine who is a fucking avid PETA protester. And I can't look at half of her Instagram, you know, it's a bummer, man. Like it's, it's brutal. and and true right. And and truly, I got to stop eating so much meat. And yeah, and vegans are right. They're right. Like yeah. they're right. I am not a vegan, and I'll sit here and say they're right about pretty much everything they're saying. Start following. Start following friendly pigs on Instagram, and mm. it really bums me out that so much of my like so much of my of my ethnic diet growing up yeah. is is pork. Sometimes maybe it just takes seeing it on screen for us to draw the parallels. You know, like is is where you see it and then you're like oh that's a bummer but then the other thing about them saying this is see this is the thing is that i don't think andy circus is watching whatever old old movie or a justin trudeau home video yeah i don't know that that's necessary i think i think he's no but but I, this is this is where i find it i find almost making the the suggestion almost for me at least personally almost like i can't even almost do it you know i have to all to almost go veer on the giving them the benefit of the doubt because because just making the suggestion is almost offensive to me um 
is it my place to be offended on their behalf? I don't know. All I know is that I was trying to look up movies made by Africans on Google in Africa. And for some reason it, at some, I can't, I can't replicate it, but I did at some point send a screenshot to you guys. And I don't think it's my, my phone. I would, I would run out of memory if I saved all my screenshots. Um, <laughs> but it suggested this movie and I was like, none of this. And there's almost no black people in this movie. Mm-hmm. How dare you ever suggest this thing? Mm-hmm. And, and so there is some weird algorithmic thing that is suggesting a connection with black people and monkeys or ape-like behavior. These legacies are all over. They're right. in facial recognition technology. But, They're in, right, right. Yeah. You know but, but, but I don't think that we should be – but I don't think that if somebody is saying, oh, I'm going to m- imitate the ape from – I don't know. What's an ape movie? Any which way but loose. Um. You know, they do ape things and somebody goes, you can't do that. That's racist. And it's like, what? I'm, why? Why did you make that, that connection? I can understand somebody who has been hurt throughout history because like, look, I am a person who has had people the moment that like growing up, the moment that they saw my mom, like turn around and then like bucked their teeth out and pulled their fucking corners of their eyes back. And so it's like, how much worse can it be if you absolutely cannot hide what's different about you? Um, so, so it's like, I, man, I get it about people who, who grew up fucking getting bullied or whatever from shitty people who are pretending to be motherfucking apes in order to hurt their feelings. But I don't think that's the same as somebody imitating an ape in order to portray an ape in a movie that's telling the story about apes that sadly because of how shittily we currently treat apes and all of the animals and also human beings going to work in the current infected meat grinder that we have getting treated like expendable meat that can be experimented on i don't know man like it's so it's really complicated so you think you think that Loza is basically just taking too big of a leap. You think that she thinks that just because it looks like racist performance, it is racist performance, and that she shouldn't be making those connections, that it's just noisy to do so. No, no, no. I think that I think it does feel like racist performance, but I think that it f- feels like it more is a that it feels like it is more of a condemnation to the racist performances and not to the person that is pretending to be an ape i don't know anywhere in the art like in the chapter that she necessarily condemns circus's intentions she literally says he's like fairly benevolent in the work that he's doing and she says that that's pretty typical for this process this all to me sounds like i mean here's what i'll say as a debate coach i don't (laughs) this sounds a little crass but as a debate coach, you don't have to agree with her. Right. That's what I'm saying. And your disagreement is like not a great, you know, and so it's that's, like. That's the fun thing about criticism. You know, it's right, like but, I love but, Ebert and but, I know, but, but I don't but, always agree but, with him. But, but, but the next part is you not agreeing is a pretty weak argument in context with literally all of the, I think, fairly meticulous connections that she makes throughout the article. And it's a fairly extensive, I mean, it's a book chapter. It's fairly extensive. It's 
30 something pages. And I think that one of the problems I have is that she's not rushing to offense and she's not encouraging people to be offended. She's literally just telling us how it works. She's like, here's, here's how it works. And I, I don't, in any context, any context at all, if someone is pretending to do anything at all and an academic shows up with a book chapter and they're like, hey, did you know that this is part of what you are doing? I am always going to be like, oh, tell me more about that. And I just don't really buy the argument that that she's claiming offense for people that like, or, or that, that, that I am taking, that, that I'm positioning myself now as being offended. I'm not saying I'm, I mean, I am, I'm, I'm offended by racist caricature. That does offend me. Um, but the question isn't whether or not I'm offended. The question is, is this racist caricature? And if so, how does that work? And the book chapter, I think, is really solid on that. I think she, she, she warrants it well. She gives you the history well. She links it to specific scenes in the movie really well. She explores the identities of the performers themselves and their relationship to the text. She never once says that they're like terrible people. Uh, I don't even know she says the movie should not be made. I think she's just saying like, here's some more of it. Yeah. Well, I disagree with her. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> um, I'm sad. I'm. It's a bummer. It's a bummer that I'm just merely a layman and I have not written a book, it's, but I'm I have not, seen a lot of movies, Aaron. But But don't do that. That's... That's it's no, a cop but th- this it, is it, no, no the, here's out, Aaron. Dude. It's a cop here's out thing. If, if he, but, but, but seriously. positionality, Aaron, when you say something like this movie feels like a 1970s movie, what does that mean to you? To me? Describe to me. Yeah. Describe to me what a 1970s movie is, because I feel like have if I, I let that go, I should have said, well, what does that mean? Because you said it kind of dismissively. Oh, it feels that way in a lot. of. Um, ways. But if Eli had said this movie, if Eli had said, well, it feels like a 1970s movie to me. I would think, oh, fucking cool. Okay. I mean, of course, then I have to narrow it down because everything can get categorized. Yeah. And Some of my favorite movies are 70s movies. No, Star Wars. So it's not necessarily dismissively. I mean, I, So I, what did you mean then by well, what is a 1970s movie? Or what do you feel I'll, like... I'll pick that up in a second. ...defines the genre of a 1970s movie? Because well, I, well, I feel like sometimes you just uncritically agree with an article that you have read instead of i don't know sometimes the reading is watching a bunch of fucking movies sadly and this has come up a lot charles this this line has come up a lot and i've been thinking about it a lot and it's frustrating because when i say as a debate coach i am evoking a very particular experience i have when it comes to determining better and worse arguments and whether or not a book chapter is making a good argument or a bad argument is something that I'm actually fairly particularly trained to do. And there's zero other people that are ever going to situate my experience as important here. And that sounds like poor me. But the the real shitty part about this is that I can never claim it without sounding like an arrogant prick. I can never tell you that, that, that that you disagreeing, you disagreeing with an article is predictable. You, you disagreeing with an article about racism and all of this stuff and just saying, I disagree and, and saying that it feels like a rush to offense, that all of that is pretty predictable and that it's not responsive. And that in my mind, the book chapter is making a much stronger article. That's not me positioning you as a mere layman. That's me just saying in this debate, we have your disagreement with the book chapter and all of the warrants and claims and, you know, um, experience. Yes. Of the person that wrote that book chapter, those two things head to head in my mind make a fairly poor debate. And if I have to determine who's right, I'm going to side with the book chapter. And it's not because you're a mere layman. I picked you 
in, in particular to make this show because I understand your experience as a filmmaker, as someone who makes film and who understands as a, cinef- a cinephile. You love fucking Well, here's something I have you. to bring up because there's another experience that I think that you seem to forget. Okay. And this is something that my older sister, and sadly, I'm going to have to bring up a bunch of stuff from my older sister because she's the only listener that we fucking have. I just saw she's commenting on Instagram and I am not on any social media and I am bummed that I did not know. Right. Because no, totally. She's, I, gosh, I have so many things to say, but go on. <laughs> right. No. My sister at one point texted me and she said, does Aaron think you're white? Are you asking me that question? Mm-hmm. Well, I guess she was asking me that question, but then now I'm just passing it on to you. It's a complex question. We talk about it in my class a lot. There's a Nakayama and Kryzak article that asks people, what does it mean to be white? What does it mean to be white? The first question they ask is, do you think of yourself as white? Yes or no. And then the second question is, what does that mean to be white? And depending on who you ask, and I'm writing a paper right now, uh, helping write a paper about what it means to be white passing. And what it, because I've described this person as white passing, and now they're writing that paper. You get it? So it is. It's a very interesting question, Charles. And um, I, my presumption in answering this question is that you frequently ref- fail, as many do, including me, to pass tests of whiteness. Um, but my experience with you is that you 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 characterize yourself as white. You 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 describe yourself as white. You say we when talking of white people quite a bit, and I've heard that on this show quite a bit. And ultimately, I would say that that's more up to you than it is up to me. That's the best answer I got. I am definitely white passing, but at the same time, the moment when my otherness ever becomes an issue, I am immediately rejected. And that's how it works, right? Yeah. And that's, you know, I I always point to the Boots Riley scene in Sorry to Bother You, where a bunch of black folks are sitting around arguing about whether Italians are white or not. It's like, here's my people in this conversation. And I get asked where I'm from in Montana and never in California. And people in Montana say that I'm not a white guy. And in California, I'm a white guy. And so liminality is part of whiteness. And different people are going to have different relationships with that liminal space. At the same time, when I lived in California, at one point, I was working at a mechanics shop and a white guy ran into me and I helped him dump a garbage can and he said, gracias to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I've had, I've, I've had indigenous people come up to me and say, hey, skin. And that was confusing to me for a minute. Did you say de nada? No, that's why I said I said it, I said Denata, but I made sure I really angloed it up yeah. back to him. I learned that my nickname in high school as a debater was the Iraqi Jew. That was my oh. nickname in high school. I was the Iraqi Jew. Well, that's way off, both of them. Yeah, and that's I mean, this is where Sicilians end up. Sicilians are confusing. Are we the Middle East or not? Oh, we're so close, but no, we're Europe because Italy's kicking us. I guess I don't know. <laughs> it's. It's confusing and complex, but this is what frustrates me, Charles, and this is what frustrates me. And it is going to make me sound like that arrogant prick again. But I research critical whiteness. That's something I do. I do it every year. I do a, a whole several week reading. And in fact, I've literally just completed it. Um, and every year I re-up it. I'm like, what is whiteness and how does this work? What is white supremacy and how does this work? When I invoke these terms that a lot of people hear on social media constantly and probably fairly flippant ways... I'm evoking very specific literature that I can point people to. And then people roll their eyes and say, well, I haven't read the book. And I'm like, well, I don't know what the fuck to tell you, man, because I have. And um, my job is to do that. 
And then I try to speak to it. And part of this podcast to me is to take what expertise I have in these contexts and apply it to these movies. And when I'm told that just because it's written in a book, that doesn't mean I have to believe it and I have to see more movies. As a debate coach, I look at my experience and I'm like, that's probably partially true. I do need to see more movies. But that's also just not a great response to the fact that when I talk about how whiteness works, I could literally give you the literature review. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm hold on. I'm, I'm still, I'm still, I just don't feel like I, I'm not, I don't imagine, I don't imagine you're, I'm sorry to, I just, before my, my fucking sister shits on, on me for not speaking up, I just yeah. don't think that your experience as a, as a Sicilian American was remotely the same <laughs> as, like, I just, I'm not like, saying my, it was. When, I'm telling you, like, being called fucking Jane Gar- Jade Garden fucking gook or something like that. Okay. Is not so, the, is not the fucking same, man. Like, it's just like, it's brutal. This is getting frustrating <laughs> on a bunch of levels because I never said it was the same. I said we all have our space in that. No, but at the same time, I literally t- but, said, I literally said, if we roll back the tape, you fail that test more than I do, I said. The Filipinos, like, don't even hard, like, they, they are a... <laughs> okay. So what I'm hearing okay. now is that I don't have... No, sp- it's just... Space it's to just talk that it, it gets... That's fine. I don't mind. I'll back no, because, that down. I mean, uh, by all means, look, <laughs> I got into a magnet school because my dad's white. You know, they had too many Asians. Um, so it's like, I'm... I But this is like, this is something I feel like my older sister and I get frustrated with. Sometimes our experience gets gets downplayed in the experience of racism in the United States because I don't know. I mean, I believe me, my, my, the people, there's people that go through a worse experience than me, but it's, it's just, it's fucking brutal, man. Like, what was I fucking even saying about it? I'm just like, I'm so fucking fired up about it. It's, we were, we were it's talking about the performances the, from Donna. The, when when the people apes, yeah. yeah, when people are talking about like oh code switching, it's like yeah, I know what code switching digital is. digital blackface, yeah, yeah. But but it's like but black people aren't the only people that have had to code switch. You know, it's like there's by all means like there's sadly anybody that has to behave around around a white culture or whatever Protestant white American culture is has to code switch. And I don't know, like, I feel like, I feel like Dawn of the Planet of the Apes is not speaking, is not directly speaking to that stuff. Like, it's not saying, it's not making a, it's not trying to make a race, a racist comment. But the fact that it brings up the racist experience in America is a condemnation to America and not a condemnation of the Planet of the Apes. I mean, maybe the original Planet of the Apes, but not this new one. I haven't rewatched the war for the planet of the Apes, so maybe they dropped the ball. But in this, I think it's super white gazy. I think it's a condemnation think, that's just wrapped in the white gaze, and I know that that frustrates people to hear. But no, I mean that's the book. I chapter. don't know it's because a great it's book chapter. It is if you went all of the way and just said, "Yeah, this is a one to one to to the to the African American." Um, civil rights experience in the United States, but if you were no, she sure she doesn't. But it's but the movie is not. I think the movie is more drawing very uncomfortable attention to just the exploitive shit that goes on. I was thinking if it had more representation of black people, or even casting black people in the 
in the roles of the apes? That makes me so unbelievably uncomfortable. How many times have you said that in this show, throughout the show, across every batch? No, I'm saying in this this particular one, I was thinking about it. I was like, my point is, the point in this book chapter is that this is where we land every single time across generations as late as 2014. (laughs) We're like, oh, if only there was more representation this time. If only there was more. No, 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 no. I'm not saying if only. I'm saying that thank fucking God it doesn't, this particular one, because then I think the wrong people would take the wrong messages from it. This movie, this movie, I think, is more about about how how unbelievably shitty and vengeful human beings are. Okay. I think it's saying a lot about, about post nine 11 American vengeance. Sure. I, I think agree. it is saying, I think it is saying a lot of very good things about the, the simple presence and dangerous threat of guns. Sure. I also think I, it's doing what the book chapter says. Those aren't mutually exclusive. Yeah, I just, I mean, I just don't see it in the way that, that she does, I guess. I just like, I just didn't feel it in that way. Um, do I for feel her, that, yeah, for her, it's different. And that's it's less a question of how she feels, though, and more a question of historical performance making and standpoint. Like, she doesn't link it to her feelings. She's not like, when I watch this, this is how I feel. She links it to yeah, very, very specific you, examples and historical but performance when you watch standpoint. A, when you're doing the criticism of the movie Aaron, when you watch it you write these things and you link it to the other things because you felt that way that's what triggers you to even have the thought to begin with and that's all it takes to get there you just write it and you no, say this no. is how i feel and you get into the no. book and that's how oh my works, fucking man. god man no for real though but no, that's, that's what, what you're saying no no, no. You're, i'm you're saying totally that you watch the, the movie you're totally and you have the feeling the and you think why do i feel this why does it make me think of all these other things and then but, you draw the line to all the different things that you but, saw but and that's how you're able to write the paper you have to link it to history that's right Aaron. guess what man i'm not publishing a fucking paper right now but i am asking you to like I don't know. Tell me like this is the, when you're saying it's like, oh, we're at the de- we're having this debate. It's like, hey, man, I didn't take fucking debate. I'm just the movie fucking nerd. I'm just the guy who's watched a billion movies. I'm just the guy who who yeah. who watches an episode and of I feel like discovery that has that puts as much thought into my watching of a discovery episode as I do right. into my analysis of the thin red line. And, and we I have talked that, hours upon hours about thin red line. I would yeah. hope deeply. And, and my hope is you can go back and listen and find times where I defer to you in your positions of expertise, Charles. And I do, I try real hard to be like, here's what you know. And here's where I try to defer to you. Okay. But, but I have coached multiple national debate champions. Multiple. Well, I'm telling uh, you how just to it, let me finish though for a minute because me. I'd really like to. And and what's weird is that never comes out as like, well, you're the debate coach, you would fucking know. I, I don't ever hear that. Not here, not anywhere. No one's but what they do do is they're like, Well, I've never taken debate. I don't want to have a fucking debate. I'm not trying to debate with you. If this were a debate, it would be going way different. What we're having is an argument about the placement of my ability to link things like this book chapter to this movie. And I do want to back up and, and talk about something because it it hits. I characterize myself as a white person, and I have spent a lot of time reflecting on my whiteness and how it works. And I do not, and I will not, say that my experience is the same as yours, or the same as any black person, or any indigenous person, or any other person. I've learned that that behavior is white apologetic, 
I learned that a long time ago. And it really frustrates me when people suggest that that is all that I bring to the table. Because while that is potentially something that I do and I have to think about and listen to, and when I edit these episodes and you bring this up, I spend the time thinking about it. What what really frustrates me, though, is that it's like every time I pull literally any of the books, the many books that I have that I read off the shelf, I get, well, that's, I mean, just because someone wrote that in a book, that doesn't mean it's true. And it's like, well, no, but this is like a fucking edited no. book, though. This is I'm like, just saying that you don't have this to is, agree I mean, from with where it. I come from, this is big. This is a big note from my sister. She says that it feels like you uncritically just repeat what you have read. And I and, understand it is exciting and fun to find an article that is well, that makes a great argument and that makes an absolute great and valid point because these movies, as Met said, is all of these things. It is all of these things on the spectrum, but it's not all of these things to everybody at the same time. I don't know how to respond to people saying that it feels like I uncritically repeat things. Like that to me is tough to answer. Well, because, but, but because, because I do that critical work as like a living and how it sounds to the audience is ultimately up to how they see me. And here's this brings up another thing I want to talk about, which I think does speak to this. It's going to sound like a detour, but it's not. When I said Dawn of Planet of the Apes feels like a 70s movie, I was really celebrating it at that moment. To you, it seems like I was being dismissive. The way that you just framed it is that I was being dismissive. But some of my favorite movies are 70s movies. And, and when I said it then, I was like, this has the feeling of like a big adventure. Some of my adventure. best friends are 70s movies. It feels like a big adventure movie to me. It also feels standpoint-wise like a 70s movie. And I'll go to bat for that for a th- every – I'll go scene by scene through that movie and just be well, like – Well, this is what I want to hear. Let's hear it. Well, I mean, not, I not scene for scene, for fuck's sake, not for God's sakes, but vaguely, I guess, or overall. Why is it? Why is this a 70s movie from a standpoint perspective? Yeah. Because literally all the women do is ask questions and get sidelined. No, this isn't. What do you think of of 70s movies? Like, women what do you asking think of? questions and getting sidelined and men having all the answers <sighs> and being dipshits. Nah, man. And also big adventure movies. And also... um you know, a certain kind of soundtrack that I'm just not equipped see, to compare that's the Dawn saying, of Planet like, of the Apes soundtrack to, but I've heard see, that's it in what I'm saying. All of it is it. dismissive that you said. All this of that is stuff your, is dismissive. I'm not saying any of that's dismissive. Dude, the big event. Oh, boy. See, we've said this, too. In, in past episodes, Women like, getting sidelined is absolutely, like, that is oh, absolutely that's dismissive a, a for sure. drawback. But the big adventure yeah. movie, that's not dismissive. I love a big adventure movie. Oh, Absolutely. In fact, I love a horny big adventure movie, which is big. Why can't I have both of those things? Why can't I say it feels like a 70s movie and that it feels like a big adventure movie, which I love. And also it sidelines women, which I fucking hate. I can't have both of those things. I have to have one or the other. I don't think I don't think sidelining women is something that is uniquely a 1970s movie. Absolutely. No, 2014 right here. Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. (laughs) 1970s movies. I mean, this is this is the, the biggest the biggest argument is that is that we should have more civil rights movies and we shouldn't have to hide the civil rights preferably not from white gays perspectives and preferably that are critical yeah about the ways that sure but if you but digital black space i don't feel like it's doing that but that's that's fine um it is a bummer that we continuously have to have to tiptoe around it's not just a bummer it's apologetic it's apologetic and people refusing to to learn I think that's what it is. It's not like we don't know. Half of these sources I'm reading are decades old. 
what happens is people read the sources and people say, well, that wasn't the intention or that's not how it works or you're just actually wrong. It's actually you doing it the wrong way. You're just spouting out stuff that you like without actually critically understanding whether it applies or not as a debate coach. That puts the blame on me. It says the book chapter may be right, but I'm doing it wrong. And none of that is responsive to the actual argument. And the arguments have stayed the same since I mean, I'm in, saying in that, my that Donna, the Planet the of the Apes of everything that we've been talking about in the lead up to this episode for all of these movies does a bunch of things fucking excellent. It does it all sure. excellent, I sure. think. Not all of it. Theme wise, it theme wise, well. it's I like the theme. Wise, I mean, like, look, if you're gonna if you're gonna show a, have a movie that has the spectacle of violence, it's fucking awesome that they did it in a way where it is shown as a tragedy. Okay. Yeah. Like, right? Like, like if you're going to, we were talking about <laughs> in what way? Like, I mean, this if you're glorifies violence, <laughs> I don't how in, in how, how did it glorify when they're, when they're attacking the, the, the humans where it's not, we're, I mean, technically we're supposed to side with the humans, right? Like we don't want to be overthrown by our, by it makes our a fetish masters. of weapons culture. It makes an extravagant, epic spectacle fetish of weapons culture. And at the end, it's it like, makes isn't them, that so sad? But in the meantime, it's just like, let's spend a bunch of money and time on it. And the movie just wouldn't work without it. Just would not work without it. What are we going to do for Act 3 if we're not setting off all those fucking guns that we showed you in Act 1 and 2? We got to pile them all up and then we got to set them all off, right? Isn't that how that well, works? You wouldn't have liked the movie otherwise because Jarhead didn't didn't hook in the the young Aaron Donalds. Yeah, no, I fucking hated Jarhead. Right. But now yeah. you love it. Uh, I think it's smart. Yeah, I think it's smart. I don't know that I love it. I think it's you smart. don't like you don't like the movie. Oh, well, it sounded like you really liked the movie. I thought I did. I thought it's smart. I'm saying it's smart. <laughs> I fucking um, love Jarhead, Charles. Oh my god! <laughs> like I don't, I don't. What, 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 here's the thing that's hard for me to, to acknowledge, and here's the thing that's hard for me to say. When you argue with people, the question invariably is going to be, does the argument have merit or is the person I'm arguing with ultimately just a bad person or just overstepping their boundaries? I try to be really hard to situate my experience where it belongs and to, to speculate when I'm speculating and to tell people when I'm speculating. I try to really hard to do that. And you and your sister are not the first people to come to me and say, Aaron, it sounds like you're just lip serving all of this whiteness stuff. You're just lip servicing it. You're just saying it because you read it and, it and it sounds exciting. And I have to listen to that. And I do. And I will. And I am. But at the end of the day, the question is, did I do the reading? Yes. Does the reading apply? Yes. Am I in a position to talk about it? Let's talk positionality for a minute. Am I in a position to talk about it? I think so. In this case, yeah, absolutely. I've created a space. One of the reasons I don't publish is because I don't want to take up a bunch of fucking space. I don't take up too much space in podcast town. Me just being a white dude with a podcast, that's every fucking white dude. I'm not taking up any space doing that. And so it's like, for me, this is me just trying to platform that. And if people think that I sound arrogant and prickish, the debate coach would say that that's a warning. That's a warning right there. And um, we should think about that. Maybe, and then I have to be, hey, the debate coach is also going to turn to Aaron and be like, Aaron, you're being arrogant and prickish. You're getting that feedback from your audience and you should listen. I think we we should all consider that and think about how it works. But at the end of the day, for me, criticism will evoke that predictably. Predictably, criticism evokes that. People think you're trying to tear it down. People think you're being arrogant. People think you're being mean. And what I love about every one of these things that I read, nowhere in any of these things ever, is it like, don't read this. 
Don't watch this. Most of these articles make the same point you and yes, Dr. Metz make. One thing I loved about the interview with Dr. Metz is when he acknowledged that Bell Hooks literally does like all of the things that he talks about, except she adds this very explicit dimension, which is like, let's make sure we do not ignore power. That's it. We're all nodding. And that's why I am more interested in talking about cishet settler patriarchy, because that is my body and who I am. And I have to demystify and articulate that shit for me. than I am necessarily talking about Dutch angles. But I think Dutch angles evoke fucking power, especially if you look at them in context. This is what I'm saying is is that it's not my place as somebody that passes as a white person that has a really weird, bizarre history where my people, the Filipinos, were colonized and then the Irish side of my family went to the Philippines and fucking brutalized them while they were in the United States military in the 1900s. It's like fucking bizarre to read that. Um, we'll learn more about that when we get John Sales on the episode, for God's sakes. Um, but it's probably not my place to make a a one to one American civil rights movie. But I could make I could make a movie about animals killing a bunch of Americans and just let other people draw the conclusions from there. I think that Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, although it does have a charged history. I think that it did not, to me, feel like it was repeating the sins of the previous movies in the history of the movies as much as it just drawed parallels to how shitty those movies were. That's what I'm saying. Okay. I hear that. Mm -hmm. I think, again, we just fundamentally disagree. And that's fine. I I also think that if you were going to have an action movie that is going to have a war in it, this one did a good job of of paying it off in a way where it makes the war seem like something you don't want to have happen. You don't want the monkeys to reap righteous vengeance because really after watching the previous movie, we're so bad. We are really bad people. And and Koba is so is so justified to be so mad at us and just seeing us with guns rightly should make him very, very wary. Mm-hmm. Um you know, like it frames it shows the 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 human beings happy, their families and stuff like that celebrating, and then it shows the apes come in and when the apes get hurt it's from the apes point of view and it's too sad music and it's we they get like the heroic slow motion stuff that is normally reserved for fucking navy seals and shit like that like i thought although there's no actual heroic moments like that like the navy seal heroic moment is given to like shitty ass koba you know who is who is more interested in violence and anger and 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 the dark side you know like it's i don't know it has a great conversation with these other movies and it frames it it frames the violence in a negative way i don't know do i wish that carrie russell was in more of everything that i watch yeah i really want to come to bat for this movie i'm not a matt reeves stan i haven't watched any literally anything else that he's done i don't think although i just found out that he did batman and i was like oh well i was just watching this movie of his so maybe i'll watch (laughs) batman (laughs) (laughs) Take it easy, sweetheart. Hear everything they say. 
Ancient. Maybe we're not so different. Who are you under there? I'm vengeance. I like Robert Pattinson, so and eventually we're gonna watch a billion Colin Farrell movies, as I found out looking at the at the list. Um so what was I what was I saying about this? Like I it there's it oh, the the child soldier stuff, the 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 passing on of toxic masculine behavior between Koba and and Caesar toward blue eyes. And Caesar's there's I there, I was thinking about about when you know that there's somebody like Koba you have to do something about it, right? Like because they're undermining even though even though in a th- in theory they're your ally, they're the the anger and this is like a narrative that's in like so many Irish rebel movies, right? Mm-hmm. Like that there's somebody that that's like that won't even allow it's the dude in the, the IRA car sitting there trying to blow up the exactly, <laughs> exactly. Who's just who's just waiting for a chance to undermine it? Just checking they're keeping the guns away. That's no concern of yours, Ivan. Martin's not going to solve this thing. Watch us. Bloody Sunday, you should just rent and watch or yeah. buy it. It's I feel like right. these characters are in all three of these movies, though. This this comment cuts across all three of these movies in really straight mm-hmm. ways. I think for sure. And all three of the, and because of, and because it frames it in, like, he's not heroic. And, and the stuff that he says to Blue Eyes is bad. Like, the, the scars make you strong. And it's like, no, they make you angry and weak. Like, the, like, I was thinking of Yoda, you know? These yeah. are the things of the dark side, you know? Right, like, right. And so, and because of, because of that, I just feel like thematically so many of, of, of what I want I think that's why this movie hit good for me. And the reason why when I watched Lone Survivor, you know, when I realized that that as a veteran I was no longer responding to watching my kin get murdered and and it was and I was starting to then feel for like these themes of the apes and stuff, you know. I feel like I would have always felt more for the apes, but it's like I stopped caring about the other thing and started enjoying this other thing more and it's like I I just like that these messages are getting passed on. It's a bummer that I don't get a straight up union movie or we just don't get like more civil, any civil rights movies, you know, made. We got a good union song. You can tell them in the country, <laughs> tell them in the town. Holy the shit. miners down in Mingle, their shovels down. We God, won't pull another pillow. So good. Pillow so good. Thank you, time. Hazel. We needed it. We'll lift another <laughs> finger till the union we have won. Stand up, boys, let the bosses know. Turn your buckets over, turn your lanterns low. There's fire in her hearts and fire in her soul, but there ain't gonna be no fire in the, I mean, that's, this is gonna be the, the upsetting thing about, about all of it, is that, is that movies are so fucking expensive. The, when money is involved, conservative people are really involved. Yeah, you're going to make and, conservative bets. Even if you're a liberal, you're going to make conservative bets. <laughs> they're going to start making conservative bets. And, and so it's like sometimes the, this is my 20 million. Oh, well, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes my, my point of view, like going into the movie is like, I hope at least they sneak something in that I, I hear agree that. With. I hear yeah, that. You know, yeah. like, and like, I do think, um, that Dawn of Planet of the Apes is more thoughtful than Lone Survivor. <laughs> I wonder how thoughtful it feels. It feels. Side to side with the original Planet of the Apes. 
Yeah. Like I, I mean, wonder how much stuff it it shaves away in order to. I mean, it's not going to be. A, it's you can't really compare them because it's not a one to one story either. You know, it's like they're not. It's not like they're. It's not like the Tim Burton Planet of the Apes versus the other one. Um, yeah. No, it's it, the the bummer to me was was thinking about this and being like, shit. If you were just to tell this, if you were just to tell like an Animal Farm style story, the parallels of how we treat animal actual animals to how we treat human beings like you just need to be like a clever film director you know where you or film editor where you can just juxtapose us going to work with animals going to the slaughter and and stuff like that like it's in all three cases across all three movies the person sitting outside the boiling point caesar uh malcolm and and donna planet of the apes the politician whose names I've totally forgotten from Bloody Sunday uh, and mm-hmm. Chris Cooper's character in Meituan, they are not able to stop it. They are not able to stop it, right? They try and they fail. In two instances, they are killed. And in the other instance, they're just, they can't be in all of the places that they need to be at once. There's just too many things going on. That There's a message there, right? Across all three of these. For me, you know, that's the thinking- big takeaway for The Batch is that it's like we have three movies that do this, that are thoughtful. But in all three ways, as, as, as noble as these characters are, they're also kind of failures. They're tragic f- failures and tragic heroes in all three senses. You had – right, let me um- – so you had texted about um, about how these – you know, they show it as, in- as, being- as being inevitably something that's going to fail. And yeah. I was thinking, well, I mean, just because they show it as failing doesn't necessarily mean they sh- they want it to be inevitable. They don't want you know, it it's to like, be inevitable, right? or that that it is like right, mm-hmm. right. You know, it's like like the Irish stories are always like we failed this time, but next time we're gonna fucking get them, <laughs> and we'll just try this for eight hundred years. That's what that's what bugs me with war rhetoric is that war rhetoric is like, well, we just need to send more troops next time, and yet with nonviolence, they're like, oh, clearly a failure, <laughs> right? But I don't think that these movies, because these movies, the war, the the war conflict is is to stop the war from happening. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's like I don't think that that it's seen as as being a failure i think it's seen as being successful and threatening i think it it i think the failure of of joe keenahan or the irish or caesar are looked at as being as much of a failure as braveheart but he won they they charged the fields of whatever and they won their freedom it says at the end there uh somebody else had to do it yeah, somebody the later Bruce, right um you know it's like you have to build the union for the ones you leave behind i saw that one go by on netflix the other day and i'm like oh fucking god that movie um i wanted to ask this question because there there seem to be parallels and it's more just about how storytelling works you asked a really great question in the spectacles of slaughter batch where you said does the opening sequence of saving private ryan fail in you know appalling us because we win d-day should we have just followed some batch that a group that just got like machine gun and then they die but then no we still win the day all three of these movies the question is like do they need to kill the character in order to prove that they're that tragic hero you see what i'm saying it's like like they, they want to put the person in a heroic space and the way they put that person in the heroic space is to show them making a sacrifice and frequently the sacrifice pacifists are going to make will be with our bodies and with our lives and so the movie is it's like 
it's like the storytelling apparatus in all three ways is kind of committed to, I think you're right, saying that these people are correct and that this is the right path. But in the storytelling process of making them some kind of victim, they all necessarily draw on this inevitability that the water boils. Yeah. Because, again, what else are we going to do for Act 3? And then they figured it out. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, we figured watch, it out. Watch, watch like, like a nature planet with humans and apes living together in Northern California for the last hour of this movie. <laughs> I mean, what would really be fat? I was thinking about it as well. It's like, what would really be fascinating is how we get from like the last colony of humans to then like the people who are absolute dumb shits for when like what's his name show up who are like, just essentially like cavemen who don't know how to do anything. Like how many generations did that take for us just to (laughs) not know how to do anything, (laughs) right? Like without power and like, yeah, without any technology at all to tell us. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Six months and we're just shit. (laughs) I don't remember who the stand up comic was, but he's like, we don't know how to do basic shit. I'm a comedian and I need a microphone to live. And I have no idea how this thing works. Like, you put loudness in here and my voice makes it come out somehow. I don't know if this, if this breaks, I'm, I'm screwed. <laughs> I was at that museum that I used to work at, like actually showed you like a, a practical demonstration, how they discovered, um, how a phonograph works. Oh, right. And I was like, Oh my God, that's how it wasn't magic. Blowing. <laughs> uh, magic. Oh, now it actually just makes fucking sense. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh this episode has definitely run long charles do you have any other final batches or batch thoughts for it i have some well i have some other other thoughts about this is um the there was the kid and mate one you know who's like turns out to be the narrator of the movie mm-hmm. um the preacher there's boy. also i guess there's also the kid in um in bloody sunday um yeah. poor poor kid who gets who gets killed in there and then there's also Jerry. blue eyes and ash and Alexander is this is Malcolm's son who does not join the fight. Remember, he just does art. But yes, Alexander and Ash. Yeah. These are the young folks. Um and like they kill Ash like in front of him. And Blue Eyes just let Kobe do it. And and I think that that really fucks with I mean, obviously, it really fucks with Blue Eyes. And and I think that's a moment that we don't really get to see in other movies about the character, like showing that they had an opportunity to maybe to stop something or that they, that you also potentially had power in that moment to, to put yourself in the way of other things. And, and they showed him make the wrong choice. Like it's, mm-hmm. I just, I mean, I just felt like the movie was, was pretty fucking good. But it's you know it it it's similar to the choice that the the preacher kid makes at the end of Maytuan where he doesn't shoot the guy who says Jesus don't shoot and then he runs into the river and I says he like baptized him with a shotgun in his hands. Um, yeah, but like at the he same never time, it's like the wrong choice. He or at least he never has that moment where he should act but doesn't. But but maybe he was in the shootout with everybody else. Like I guess he kind of witnesses his friend get stabbed, doesn't he? Jesus Christ! Yeah, I forgot about that. Ugh. Yeah. Five. Give us five, boy. And Harley Shelton. Kill him. <laughs> Nothing like a young boy dying. Stir things up. And he doesn't do any 
thing and then he has a moment to get vengeance and he doesn't take vengeance i mean that guy didn't stab his friend but they're all working for the same company it would have been foolish to hop out there i don't know what he would have done hit them with fucking yeah. coal each one of them right. just bing them with coal get stabbed also every single one of them yeah, get his throat horribly slit yeah like a very um, miserable scene that's interesting and then jerry's character is like just he's trying to stay out of trouble um and then ultimately then he just gets just, shot yeah. He's he's kind of just a tragic bystander. Like he he was just swept up in it. He wants to get like, it? like yeah he does yeah yeah. He didn't really and even do a lot of his wrong. friends kind he didn't of really make know, a lot of just, choices. Like mm-hmm. the movie literally says he should. The, the preacher who's like stay out of trouble is like I'll see you at the protest. So even there, it's like he's supposed to go to the protest. And all then of he them just gets show, pinned on him. Yeah, all of them kind of show like the the breakout of violence, sort of ruining their own towns. Yeah. And like the, you know, we did a whole batch on child soldiers. That was batch five. We watched the bridge beasts of no nation and red dawn. They're all deeply affected in this movie or in this batch. They're like in this batch. So lone survivor has a very intense scene where they debate whether or not this is fucking death that we're looking at. And so I guess you could say it debates how children and women are affected by war, but this, these movies are showing us in very, very real ways that it's like these children have to watch and learn and decide and act and right. Yeah. Learn lone survivor showing it in order to justify why they're there. Right. And and these other movies like victims and yeah. These other movies would be like from the other point of view where it's like they're just bummed either one of them are in the freaking woods coming in. Right. It's probably just like townsfolk just being like, Jesus, gun people stop showing up. Do we want one person to get beheaded or do we want an A-10 to fly over and just strafe the main street? I don't fucking know. (laughs) How about both? Can we do both? How long can we make this movie? What's the (laughs) runtime? Um, I don't know. I mean, watch all. Definitely watch two of these movies. Um, I think if you if you slept on on these Planet of the Apes movies, I think they're surprisingly good. Um, I don't know, write in, write or call in, and you tell me whether or not it feels like it's perpetuating, um, <laughs> perpetuating blackface. Something that sadly is something that people have fucking done in the last thirty years. Real War Project, R-E-E-L, War Project, <laughs> is all one word at gmail.com. Aaron does not use social media. So if you put stuff on Instagram, it's up to the people on Instagram to bring it to this show. Uh, but if you want us to look at it for sure, you can send it to R-E-E-L, War Project, all one word at gmail.com. I would say Maytuan is the one from the batch, but Maytuan and Bloody Sunday both, I think, are very good. And I will. I will say that Dawn of Planet of the Apes is thoughtful. It, it, it is thoughtful in moments that I think are good. And it brought me to an incredible book uh, that I'm going to order called Monstrosity and Masquerade in Post-Racial Times, uh, which makes it very contemporary and useful. Well written in a way that it's that it's it's easy to read. Um, sometimes I have to read things way out loud in like yeah. a Dan Carlin voice in order right. to be able to, yeah. to digest it. I say it. reading Butler is like carrying bricks and this book chapter is much easier than mm-hmm. that <laughs> no it's like i i do enjoy to read i do enjoy well-written and researched uh film criticism um it's it, it even if i disagree with it um but mm-hmm. it's also very fun when you have um when you've seen the all of the stuff um that's what helps my students in the class say if you watch the movie and read the article about the movie together close together you can kind of see what all those big words are about and how it works yeah mm-hmm. That's yeah what works for um me too. 
And so, obviously, hopefully, you're watching these movies along with um, along with our show. The batch episodes would be side. hard if you're not. If you're if you're watching individual movies, that's okay. But if you haven't watched we all the movies off, in the batch, yeah. I feel like yeah, it's probably a little rough. Well, we have at least two more batches left in the first season here, Charles. I'm excited. I'm always excited to hear about the first movie in a new batch because it's like opening a new chapter of a book. What's next? All right, Aaron. For the next movie here, we are going to go to 1994. And we're going to watch Milcho Manchevsky Before the Rain. Nineteen ninety four is Before the Rain. It's a poignant tragedy about hatred. His photographs were like moments of truth captured forever. Sounds great. <laughs> Yeah, definitely never heard of this. Well, it's under two hours, so have fun. It's under two hours. That's good to hear. Interesting. (laughs) Mm This will be a fun batch. (laughs) All right. Before the rain, 1994, that'll be next week. Um, Assuming everything goes well uh, between now and then, I'm just going to pick up this sign and uh, join this protest and turn left instead of right. Okay, well, I'm going to uh, pick up this revolver, and I'm going to defend my civil rights march. See you next week. All right. and Matt discuss some of the best and worst horror movies out there. Check out all four seasons of Watch No Evil. Lauren and Sarah riff on changing topics each week. Whether it's celebrity horoscopes, the poop cruise, or smell-o-vision, you'll laugh along with Dippers. Catch up on pop culture news and reviews every week with Brandon Biggs and Carl on Not Safe for Network. Professor Aaron Donaldson and Purple Heart recipient Charles Horgan break down war movies, their narratives, and the rhetoric behind them on Real War Project. 